yourself. A merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our trouble will be out of sight. And have yourself a merry little Christmas. Now, <laughs> no problem. I've gone on a high note then. Let's just end on a high note. <laughs>
And I don't like I have a campaign and it's a personal campaign. Hashtag mute all sports on TV because the announcers for everything are just terrible. I just don't like announcers for some reason. But when I was looking at the timeline during the game, it just I, I, I think it was Greg Olson who was calling the game. Uh, along with uh, the other person, I don't know who it is, but <laughs> if, if you if you would if you were listening to Bob Laney, who used to be the Colts uh, play by play guy, uh, you would think that you were listening to that because of the of uh, at least according to that um, from according from what mm-hmm. I got from the timeline, that's what it seemed like. Because boy, they, it seemed like they were rooting for the Colts, but it's okay. Because, you know, who, who needs that when you have your own fan base who trashes the team? You know, talking about the, the Patriots defense and all this stuff when, you know, it wasn't the Patriots defense's fault that the game was turned out the way it, it did. And, you know, everybody's going to point to well, the Jonathan Taylor uh, last touchdown. Uh, well, you know, as they say, the guys get the other guys get paid, too. Yeah, I think like, you know, obviously, like I, I tweeted. A good announced crew is hard to find. It's impossible to find. I mean, everyone gushes about Romo, but Romo's horrible. There's no good announced. I mean, there's there's maybe one or two, maybe one or two. And I'm being that's <laughs> that's generous. I mean, there's there's probably one out there. Um, and sometimes people have a bad game. People, I think, I think with Greg Olson, he's capable of being much better. Um, I think he was in the middle, like it was a limelight game. I think he was a little caught up in that. And he started, you know, going the go-to for an announcer is go where the wind blows, like whoever's doing good, you know, talk them up. That that's what you do. You gush about almost like you saw this coming. That's how you act. You know, you fake it till you make it basically. And I think that's what he's doing as an announcer. Um, I mean, he does know football, but there's certain things that, he just sounded like he didn't even know what he was talking about. One of the craziest things that he was doing in the, and both announcers did this was when uh, it was both during Harry's helmet to helmet and Nelson Aguilar's helmet to helmet. They almost acted like it was their fault in both scenarios. And I said to myself, what game, what game are you watching? I mean, sure. It could be accidental, but it's not their fault. It's the, the, the guy tackling him or coming in, trying to tackle leading with his head I mean, Sandejo is one, one of the dirtiest players, it seems, in the NFL. I mean, he, he just he – he was unapologetic the way he was flying around like a missile leading with his head. And, uh, you know, every Colts fan wants to say it was a shoulder. Sure, yeah. As long as you hit the helmet, it doesn't matter. You go, you go too high, you hit him in the crown, whatever. Um, I think to, um, you know, to, to that other point there is, you know – everything got misconstrued. I think after the game, like I watched the game where the Patriots made a ton of mistakes. I mean, I don't know how you get away from that decade game and don't consider that a big factor in why they lost the game. I had people or I saw people tweeting and saying things like, you know, it was just the Colts were just a great team. And I was like, no, no, they weren't. I mean, I think everyone has that recency bias where the last thing I saw, quote unquote, you know, with like Burp Rare does it all the time, the shiny thing. And everyone thought, thinks about that Jonathan Taylor run at the end. And it, it's, it's just, that's what you guys are thinking of. And, and everyone said the next day, oh, the Colts ran all over them. They kept Jonathan Taylor kind of in check most of the game within reason for an MVP candidate and what he usually has been putting up. 
And then that was just a bad break of a run. And, you know, people right after that from the Patriots side were uh, shitting on Devin McCourty and Dante Hightower like they have all season, even though Devin McCourty is probably having one of the best seasons of his career at 34 years old, which is wild. But like I said to you guys, Dante Hightower is already retired, though. So how could he be being bad? You know, it's actually 12 men on the field. He's not even supposed to be on the field. (laughs) Um, It's it's Dante Hightower, who's 31, 32. And Devin McCourty, who's 34 years old, versus a 22-year-old MVP leading, supposedly, once-in-a-lifetime running back who makes a giant cut going the other way. And now, all of a sudden, both those guys need to retire. And secondly, Damian Harris did that to Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer the week before on his cut to the end zone. And no one's asking for them to retire. They're Pro Bowl alternates. So... I don't get it. Like, it's just the, the last thing I saw. And it, it, it's the same thing with the Chargers game. I remember Hightower had a whiff there, and that's when Jackson, Justin Jackson went for a long run in that game. And they are all like, they ran all over you. It was just, you're thinking of just one chunk play out of everything they did to contain him. And they did a pretty good job with Wentz. People are saying that Wentz, Wentz dunked on them. I, I, I don't know what game we're watching at this point. So it, it's, you know, it goes from the announce crew to the media. And, you know, you guys talked about it last week when I wasn't here, and I, it was my final thought two weeks ago was Burt Breer and his <laughs> terrible, terrible streak of ass tweets. Which is, which is still know? going. Yeah, Even, it just, I mean, it doesn't it's, stop. It's, yeah, it's not, it's, not a, a, it's not a one-week process because he had a tweet um, after the game. It was like, and you know, the picture of, of all the Patriots in the huddle and Bill Belichick's in the middle. It was like, well, there's no doubt who – Who's the leader of, of the defense is? Who's calling the defense? Is he is he is he trying to is he is he, are you trying to put a shot to Steve Belichick or something? Like no, duh. The, head coach, the, head, the head coach can't talk to his players. The head coach <laughs> no. is not supposed to talk to his players. No, he's done that for years. He's anytime that there's like a game that's sort of like going in a direction that Belichick doesn't like, he steps in. That's what a head coach should do. He's a little more hands-on in the scheming during games and always has been. But I, I, I you know, I, Dan, I agree with everything you said. You're laying out a, a lot of great points about the media and what have you. I want to hit on the Jonathan Taylor MVP thing. Is he an MVP candidate? Absolutely. He's having a sensational season. The run at the end of the game is not the highlight to define his MVP candidacy in part because he should have fallen down after 12 yards. Him running to the end zone gave the Patriots an unnecessary chance to come back in that game. If he goes down, they kneel out the clock game over. He ran Mm -hmm. to the end zone for his own ego. And I'm sorry, that's not winning football. Like hopefully he's young. Hopefully he learns from it. I don't like seeing players make stupid mistakes that could cost the team a game. I like seeing good teams compete. Like, obviously, I'll take advantage of when a terrible terrible mistake is made. Um, and obviously, it didn't bite them in the butt on this one. But, like, go down, man. That's what an MVP does. That's why Tom Brady doesn't right. care if he hands the ball off 25 times or if he throws the ball 50 times. That has not really been a big part of the equation, you know, maybe later in his career when he got to mopey Tom mode. But, you know, when he's, you know, when it was all about the Patriot way, like, that, that, that's what that was. That's why Mac Jones didn't give a shit about only throwing the ball three times two weeks ago because they got the dub. Like that's, I don't like him being defined by that because it's a stat humping piece. Oh, it's an ESPN, it's an ESPN top 10 play stat humping piece that people are, that's, 
that's what dummy casual fans are going to be like, oh, look at that, MVP. And they're not going to understand the whole context of what happened in the rest of that game. And the craziest thing is they're on hard knocks right now in the, the, doing the in-season hard knocks, right? And he says that he looked to the sideline to get approval that he could go into the end zone to kind of cover his ass there about what you said. So he, he, he says that the sideline kind of gave him the nod that he could go into the end zone. I was like, bullshit. And then no. secondly, this tells you what kind of Oregon team that is when they're watching the tape and they're like, I hope our mascot gave him the, the air hump to the face to JC yeah. Jackson as he's running into the end zone, chasing him. I was like, what are you guys do? like? Seriously, that this is what we're talking about. That's also, that's also the whole thing. It's like, this is the organization that says like the Patriots get a lot of shit when they win big every time were they running up the score. And oh yeah, no, my coach gave me the nod that I could go in despite it hurting our chance to win the game when we're guaranteed to win if I go down because I wanted to score points against the Patriots. That's the definition of padding and running up the score. That's the definition of it. So don't give me this, you know, oh, they gave me the nod. That makes it worse. That makes it worse because you don't care about winning. You care about your stats. I look to the, I look to the sideline. I looked to the sideline to get the okay. And my coach said, run up that score. And no one's saying that's bad. Everyone's, you know, let's, you know, all jack off to the 69 yard run, you know, and let's do a big, you know, speaking of 69 yards, let's all do a, you know, a big old media 69 about Jonathan Taylor and run that up. Like, well, I don't know if we want to segue that to to your point, Bill is to the coach, the Frank Reich. Oh, please do. in, In a way it was like, it was like if McDermott had won the, the week before the way he acted after that game was sort of like, yeah, like, you know, we knew we, we had him in the bag. We had it all figured out. It was like, like this, all of a sudden he, his, he feels like his balls and dicker just grew like three times bigger, you know, in the, in, in the span of 60 minutes. And the mothership, and the mothership had this perfectly when they said, uh, I guess like Frank Reich did, I guess every, from now on, every every coach is going to rename their play as you know the Pittsburgh special or you know the Jacksonville special. Is is that what is that what it's going to be now? Are the Patriots really that embedded into the minds of not only fan bases but coaches oh. that it, it, that it's any any type of crazy play or you know amazing play that game break, breaks a game against the Patriots is a is is a special. Oh, no, no, no. This is worse. This is next level. This is where it's not the Philly special because Philadelphia ran it. He called it the Patriot special because it was more about who he ran it against than his own team. Again, telling you everything you need to know about what this coach framed. That's why it's like the king of letdown games, you know, not gambling advice. But, you know, if you're a if you're an individual who likes to throw down some clams on a game, the Arizona (laughs) Cardinals probably are a good bet. Because this is the king of letdown spots. Just look at how they responded. He, they're they're pounding their chests and they're real up on themselves and Patriots yeah. specials and yeah. rolling out, you know, rolling everything out to just beat this one team. And it's, what it's, does that usually lead to in the NFL? It's it's how the season's going for everybody. It's complete parity around the league. So exactly. I, I, mm-hmm. to your to, to them losing to Detroit last week, I feel like Arizona's in a great spot to upset the Colts here. Um, and yes. <laughs> The, I mean, the other the other thing it, that I think about is if we face the Colts again in the playoffs, I feel very confident about facing it because this is this is McDermott. Like, like I said, these are the coaches that get so obsessed 
with what Bill is thinking, what he's doing to them, and that they have to prove a point. It's like some like stepchild trying to prove something, like like he's never had a father figure sort of thing. Like they're they're all just like it's ingrained it. Like McDermott, the first thing he says after his win against Carolina is about New England. It's it's just like, oh man, he's already in your head. And I think you guys are gonna overthink everything when it comes to Sunday. And I think when Frank Reich, if he faces them in the playoffs, I think this whole thing's going to overthink. He's going to think he has this whole thing in the bag and then Bill's going to change up everything. And he's going to say, Holy shit. Like I, he didn't even see that coming. And, you know, we can talk about the Buffalo game if you guys want, or what, what you want to jump to next. Well, well, that, well, that, that I was just going to say, that's what happens with mediocre franchises who have no idea how to consistently win. When you don't know how to consistently win, every win against a team that has consistently won is a big win. So I guess that's where it comes from. You know, uh, you know what it kind of reminds me? It reminds me of the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin, where they keep saying to Steve Carell throughout the, the movie, stop putting the pussy up on a pedestal. And I feel like for these teams, stop putting the Patriots up on a pedestal. I mean, that's mm-hmm. exactly what they do is they act like it's this unreachable feat to beat them in the regular season which sure it's challenging but it's not impossible and it's also the regular season stop Mm -hmm. acting like you just won Won the super bowl yeah won the super bowl or you you just went undefeated like it's just it just shows how sad and to your point mediocre these franchises are yeah in, in the hierarchy of franchise of franchise and i really think about it more as the coaches than the franchises but in the hierarchy of that um the only people that are worse than the mcdermott's and the reichs of the world who are you know all talking about their like ability to you know their ability to like beat the patriots and brag about it there's a hierarchy there's the tomlins who never change anything about the way they game plan regardless of who they play um, who almost always get beat by the Patriots. Then there's these guys who get like a sniff of victory. It's the Rex Ryans of the world who win like a game here or there and pro- pro- pontificate about having found the solution to beat Bill Belichick. And then you've got this layer of people that actually give the Patriots trouble that are like the Harbaugh's and Peyton's of the world who actually just focus on their team and doing the things and trying to like counteract what's happening on the field as opposed to like, out psyching Belichick. And that's when you're giving your team the best chance to win. You might not win frequently because few people do against Belichick, but you're giving your team the best shot there when you're a team that's actually focused on like what's happening on the field and not, you know, your ego versus Belichick. Yeah. So um, I want to dovetail this topic into um, David Andrews and Mac Jones and this whole thing with, uh, and the mothership talked about uh, Teddy J radio um, Ted Johnson uh, talking about Mac Jones and how he shouldn't be talking and he should shut up. He's a rookie. Um, David Andrews pretty much confirming that the Patriots didn't have a good week of practice and he spoke the truth and the preparation wasn't where they needed it to be for different reasons. That was the truth. And of, of course, it doesn't surprise me that that he's saying this because in our thread um, on Saturday, I was kind of leaning towards there was something missing not not maybe not necessarily about practice but that makes sense that the practices they feel weren't as up to par but I know the Colts also had a week off but it just seems that the Patriots you know 
with, with because they were on such a high streak. And I'm not I'm not one of these people who believe in, oh, they needed to lose so that it, they can have some humble pie or they needed to lose because they needed to uh, uh, not get too high on themselves or they need to uh, stop peaking. You know, all these weird cliches that actually don't exist in actual football. But I, I do think that there was there's something to um, consistency. And I don't think it was very, I don't think it's very consistent, especially to have a, a bye week so late into the season. And, and the Colts, even though they had the same bye week, well, they had the advantage because they were at home. So they were, they, they weren't, they were able to do things that they're used to. The Patriots were not. And so. Well, also it, and like we said, and the mothership said the same thing, when you make a t- fuck ton of mistakes, like, you know, eight penalties, uh, you know, a block punt for a touchdown. That's hard to come back from. And they almost did. So I, I made the point at the end of the game. I felt fine. I, I felt no different than I did yeah. before. I mean, I would have loved to win. Who doesn't? But at the same time, like, if you take actual context into the game, you should not be concerned about this team and start wetting your pants. Like, you know, not no surprise at all. Pretty typical. The whole timeline started doing right after the game. And, and the media continues to do into this week. Right. So it, it, it's really weird. So I want to get into Buffalo because, I mean, we pretty much previewed them two weeks ago. So I don't think we need to spend too much time on them specifically, the, the team as a whole. But I would say this week, they're a little bit weaker in terms of Josh Allen. You know, he's he's getting he's a little more banged up than he was two weeks ago. So that's a factor as well. And also uh, the Patriots are, too. Uh, And we'll get to and we'll get to specifically who is, you know, uh, who will be available, who might be available, because there there are you know, it's 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 fluid still as we tape this on Thursday afternoon. Um, But really, I just think it's going to be the same thing. I don't think I'm not really scared of anything. But that Buffalo has to offer running game wise. Uh, I like David Singletary, but again, he's not n- nothing to be uh, afraid of. I don't think um, so. It's really just, and again, the mothership t- talked about this. We're going to be here. I'm going to be saying this all show because they really did a great job um, yesterday. Uh, I, I really think that Josh Allen. Uh, I hope they, that the Patriots can, you know, get get hat on a hat and, and get Josh Allen and don't get him to that, that, that side that, you know, he can do all those crazy things. So, I mean, what do you guys think? Because I just think it's pretty much the same thing that we talked about two weeks ago. Yeah. I think the only major change is, you know, in regard, you know, other than injuries, you know, on the paths that we'll get to, but I think the only major piece is where you want to attack with pressure when a quarterback is banged up. Um, and Josh Allen being banged up, he's going to want a comfortable pocket. And I think that changes the equation a little bit on where you want to scheme your pressure. And I think they want to scheme their pressure straight up the middle um, with us, with, you know, somebody keeping contain on the outside. So it's a big game, not necessarily for sacks for your, for your Judons, your Van Noys, et cetera, setting edges. Um, but it's a big game for them to sort of establish that edge and keep him contained so that he 
is forced to be more nimble in that pocket, move around a little bit, and it's closing in on him with people, you know, like Barmore crashing in, um, Godshaw, you know, those, I think it's going to be a big game for that crew because they're going to look to push the middle of that line, um, which, you know, has had its issues for Buffalo as well. I mean, I outlined in a thread earlier this week that, you know, a lot of Josh Allen's stats per game are significantly lower than last year. And I don't think that's because Josh Allen has gotten worse. I think that's because his offensive line has not played up to par this year. And maybe his receivers aren't getting open as quickly. Um, you know, Diggs is still Diggs, but, you know, Beasley hasn't had the same season. Emmanuel Sanders hasn't been, you know, Emmanuel Sanders that people remember from five years ago. Um, and so it, all of that plays into it. Um, so I definitely think that this pressure up the middle is going to be a key on defense. And then on offense, I think it comes down to how trolly do the Patriots get at the beginning of the game? Do they want to get in the Buffalo Bills heads by running the ball early to sort of say, like, we're going to continue to run the same strategy that we beat you with last time and get them to crash the box heavily early and then set things up from there? Or do they assume that they're going to come with pressure right off jump to stop the run and run some play actions and other, you know, and screen passes, you know, tight end screens, what have you, um, to sort of like diffuse that pressure and then open up running lanes. It's really about which, you know, sort of pick your poison there because the first game is just the biggest setup of all time to do either of those two options. Yeah, I'd say I'm not going to be surprised if Bill goes back to the well. And even if Mondre can't suit up for this game, I think Damian Harris looks amped at practice. I think he's ready to go. I think him missing last week was probably a good thing because they know this is a this is a marathon and this is a longer season. So making sure they have at least one healthy, strong running back to go with, and maybe J.J. Taylor steps in in this game, seems like he's practicing. Um, that might be another person to look out for. And again, Bolden in the passing game. But th those are, you know, Bill nailed it. Like there's so many things that they could unleash that they didn't even get to tap into last time from the passing game. And I think a lot of that has to do with screens too, with Bolden. Um, you know, and Harris can catch the ball, JJ Taylor, uh, their tight ends, Jonu Smith. Um, but I think it, it is going to be interesting to see who plays uh, Sunday at receiver. Um, but I still feel good regardless. I, I really hope Bourne can go, especially if Nelson Aguilar can't. Uh, and if you can get Harry Bourne Myers, um, I, I still think that's a good crew. And it sounds like Christian Wilkerson could step into a spot here based upon what Bill's been saying at, at practice this week. A couple other notes that I, I find interesting is, you know, obviously Cole Beasley's out this game. Uh, Mr. Doesn't want to get vaccinated dipshit um, that thinks he's smarter than fucking scientists. Um, and then we have, looks like star uh, Loto Lili is uh not practicing today. He didn't practice today. Um, they're already out uh, Dawkins um, and whoever their starting guard is, I believe as well. Um, so I think it's a little bit different than last time. There's some, there's some pieces shifting for them. And again, we go back to the whole dynamic of the next man up should be able to, to fill the spot in, in just a decent level, but you never know. Like, I, I don't know enough about their, uh, their depth chart and I'm, Looking at it right now, I think the next man up for star would be uh, Harrison Phillips, who I think is still decent. Um, they have a deep front four. I mean, like they they have depth there. Um, 
another game they won't have AJ Epinesa. Um, but they, you know, who I thought was struggling a lot that I've seen the last few weeks is uh, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, who at one point seemed like a really big star for them. He struggles with coverage. He really does. And uh, I saw a lot of that in some of the recent games with him. He was chasing running backs downfield or tight ends where he couldn't catch up. Um, and let's, let's not forget how motivated Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde are being alternate pro bowlers. I mean, if that doesn't light a fire under you, I mean, Jordan Poyer tweeted out uh, gas and fire. So, you know, they're not fucking around this time. I mean, and, and, they, and, who, and who knows if they make good plays, maybe they'll make the pro bowl, even though it's already been selected. Yeah. And, and, and also like this, you know, Bill may say this right now. It's not like you're playing for everything right now. It's not like you don't have enough motivation as it is. But you have to think about being alternates in a Pro Bowl. I mean, talk about – I mean, I I hate to be so crass with it, but talk about small dick energy. Like, yeah, there's – like, it, that's me, 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 which is the most obnoxious thing in the world. It's what pisses me off about, you know, the whole, you know, looking to the sideline for a touchdown thing with Indy. It's, you know, with Jonathan Taylor. I, I The whole thing, when it's me, 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 I can't tolerate it pisses me off. And like, that's just the tiniest dick energy I have ever seen in my life. It's, you know, we weren't motivated for the divisional game that if we win, we have the inside track and a pretty obviously obvious way to win the division. And if the Patriots win, we cannot win the division. And we're not geared up for that enough. We have to motivate from our own personal achievements. You, you just, you like the Patriots, a lot of them this year were advocating for themselves to make the pro bowl, but you're, you know, you're hearing other teammates say like, oh, this person should have made it. You're not seeing, you know, soliloquies about how motivated they are by it if they didn't make it. You're seeing, you know, focus on the team. And that's, that's what Belichick is built and why I don't like, I just don't think McDermott's the guy. Like, I think that's a talented roster that could go deep in a, in a play. I just don't think McDermott's the guy for Buffalo. Well, it's a trickle down. We talked about this before. It's a trickle down attitude. I think this attitude trickled down from McDermott and especially the way he handled that post game last time. You wouldn't give Bill credit and his players are the same way. They, they're willing to throw the front seven under the bus in that big run play saying like, it's not, why are you looking at us? even though that's your job to clean it up. And also if anyone should be pissed about being snubbed given his season, it should be Devin McCourty. You're talking about safeties. So he mm-hmm. should be playing. I mean, he's already going to be playing with a fire because he knows what's on the line. You know, uh, you got other guys who were definitely snubbed like David Andrews and Shaq Mason, but that should not be the criteria for why you're motivated for this game. And the other thing I just want to point out real quick, um, if my phone recognizes my dumb face, um, the weather, I hate to break it to Buffalo Bills fans. The weather's not looking great for Sunday. We don't play for in a dome. So wait, but the, I, to... wait, wait, they didn't change the rules. Wait, I thought, bu- I thought Buffalo, Buffalo relocated to Miami. No, no. And we, we can't play this in an underground stadium. It's, it's, there's a good chance. This is going to be a sloppy game again. This is a good chance that. Josh Allen isn't going to be able to whiz the ball over the field. And I can't wait for the excuses for this one. If it's going to be raining, like it, it says right here for Foxborough, um, you know, if, if the, the receivers stop, dro- start dropping the ball or there's too much gusto because his arm is so strong. It, it could literally, you could kill a man, put a ball through their chest. Um, as we saw last time, people saw God. Um, 
th- this this is a chance to for pe- the Bills fans are going to be defense mechanism the whole fright or flight thing all over again. They're going to be coming up with all the excuses in the world if this doesn't go this way. But at least they have their stupid fucking billboard out there again. <laughs> stupid fucking. You know, it's not even the best fans in the, in the world. It's the most obsessed fans. I mean, you guys, congratulations. Th- these past two weeks, you have gone to new heights in terms of being obsessed with the Patriots. We live in your head. Like, we, we collect all the money. It's Monopoly. We own hotels in your brain. Like, it is insane how much these guys think about us. And they're still in denial that the Patriots are good. Like, I mean, there was some tweets this week about a guy who still doubles down that we overpaid in free agency. And I don't give a shit. It's not my money. The cap's going to go up. Why do you care? You're losing to us. You're second place to us. People don't understand. People don't understand. They, they, again, you know, broken brains and thick boys. Like we talked about it last, you know, our title from last week. It's all, it, that's all it is. It's this and that. And if there's, sorry, Shaq, no, you're, you're looking to jump in. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, I think I, you know what? I, w- I make fun of the Bills fans for that sign, but you know what? If that's what they consider winning, then I'll, j- I'll just give it to them. Congratulations for winning a, 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 a fake contest on Twitter. Uh, backed by a like network. Colts fans. Hang a banner. You know, congratulations. Hang a Whatever you want. Yeah. Hey, at least this one is in Foxborough and not in Rentham facing Rhode Island. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, for people that are listening and don't know, I live about like a like mile, mile and a half from the stadium. Um, so I would drive by that. Like, I'm probably one of the few people that actually trolled a little bit. So kudos to the Bills fans, like golf clap for the year one. But doing it twice, like, wouldn't you put it in like Kansas city where you lost in the playoffs last year and where they say they have the best fans, like Patriots fans don't give a fuck what, who, what you think of us. Right. We don't want, <laughs> we don't want to be your best fans. We, we want, we're going to tell you to go fuck yourself. Even if you are the best fans, cause we don't care. And so your no. ban, your billboard there, it's near the parking lots where people are going to be cooking out. I'd be bringing some eggs. I, <laughs> I'll, I'll say I'll say this: Patriots fans aren't the best fans, but you know what? They have they have a lot of Super Bowls. I know that much. And Bills, well, they don't. So I'll take those over a billboard. Yeah. Um. I. I oh, go ahead, Bill. No, no. I was just saying. I was agreeing. You're good. <laughs> yeah. I want to get to this really quickly because um, we were talking about practice and we were talking about all the guys who were or are there or were there. Um. As of this taping Thursday afternoon, like like um, Dan said, no Stevenson, no Kendrick Bourne, no Nelson Aguilar. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a little bit fluctual. I, again, with Harry, I hope you know I'm I'm still holding out hope for my man. Um, that deep ball that he caught, um, it left a very small crack in the door, and that was a real critical play. So you know, I, I hope I hope that he get he gets a shot because I'm really you know he's not a separator, but just let him get downfield and and high point it and and this is a this is a game i feel like this is a good spot for harry if if he's starting is because these have small cornerbacks now they're without trey white i don't know who can run down the field and jump up for a ball with him i mean i could see a safety but still he's he he's bigger than than micah hyde by a good five inches so i don't i don't know who can can jump with him when it, when it comes to that. And I could totally see if, if 
Patriots wanted to come out and surprise people by putting out, you know, four wide um, that they think they can put someone out of position uh, with him. So it'll be really interesting to see if, if he's, if he's going to play. Super quickly. I just wanted to add, I think the high pointing was a, an underrated thing um, because Harry has been letting the ball come into his body a lot in his career. And so the fact that he went up and high pointed the ball like that is a really encouraging sign for things to come. And I'm going to be that guy re-sign Nikhil Harry. Yeah. Bring I, him back. I, I, he's, he's done everything you've wanted him to. Everything if he'll sign, he bring him back. Yeah. He, he's done everything, everything that's been asked of him. So yeah, I'm, I'm for it, but um, that, so that was practice today, but somebody who was also back at practice um, who wasn't uh, yesterday um, he was a little bit sick is Matthew Slater. Obviously we all know who Matthew Slater is, right? Um, special team emeritus, um, amazing, but I'm, 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 I'm trying to keep my calm here, but man. It, okay. So it started last night um, it, on Instagram. Apparently there was this, I'm not going to even say report because it wasn't a report. It was just one of those fake Photoshop things that said, breaking news, Matthew Slater tests positive for COVID. And then it spreads to Twitter and there's all these, uh, you know, random accounts saying, oh my God, Matthew Slater tested positive for COVID, Matthew Slater tested positive for COVID. No proof, no evidence to to that, just saying it. And of course you had people like fake Spike King and, Justin Ramos, that asshole, fake teacher, he should have his, if he's a teacher, he should have his license revoked. Um, yeah, so you have all these guys parroting this story, and it's not true, because Matthew Slater was back at practice today, Thursday, and he, he, he's, he's there at, at the media portion of practice. So all you motherfuckers, and that's right, I'm, 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 it irks me that these people, you know, look, I understand, like, TikTok is big. Why don't you just do a, a silly dance? Do one of those milk crate challenges, for God's sake, if you want to uh, trend the internet. But are you, are you kidding me? Putting a disease that has killed 800,000 people and, and just, saying, just saying it out loud just to trend the internet and to get clout, it's the lowest of the low. And you all can go to hell as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, it's despicable to question, to put that question out and to put that as fact out into the world when it's not the case. Um, you know, there's a lot of powerful. Oh, and before, um, yeah. And sorry, I, I just have to mention there are two, good. the two other guys, um, uh, this guy, Dan O'Neill, what's this? Is that his name? Uh, yeah, Dan O'Neill. Dan O'Neill. And of all people, Rob Nikovich. Uh, former Patriots linebacker. They apparently have a show and they both uh, reported on their, well, not report, again, not reported. They said on their Instagram page that Slater had COVID. So I, I don't know yeah. where that, where it came from. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what sparked it, but it's not true. No. And shame on everybody, including Nink for that. And I like, yeah. I like Absolutely. Nink a lot. It probably in that situation is just guilt by association. It could have been something that Dan O'Brien had and put out there and Nink is getting railroaded by association, but that's what you get when you sign on the dotted line with somebody. Um, it, I mean, the other one is, the, is Ethan Hurwitz. Um, right. 
you know, putting up, putting stuff out there. He actually responded to me when I said that his, you know, fragile ego was in jeopardy because Slater's status for Sunday was not at this point. Um, he quote, he quote tweeted my tweet and put out a image of a text message he sent that says any truth to the positive Slater test and a thumbs up next to it. Like somebody has given it a thumbs up. Right. It is only the one, it's only the one <laughs> text. It's only the one text. It's only a thumbs up. And it's, he's acting like that was appropriate journalistic vetting, which it is not. And that's why, because I bet that somebody mentioned something and then people stole it. Like Ramos stole that from other people. Like, I think he saw either the O'Brien tweet, uh, O'Brien and Nink Instagram or the Hurwitz tweet and just stole it and said, oh, per my sources, which we know that most of the big media does. So he was trying to do that and, you know, use the small time media to sort of build his clout. And he got burned by it, which is why he deleted his tweet. But unfortunately for him, we keep the receipts here at the Entitled Weekend podcast. Um, but it's just it's despicable to do that. And I think more so it's additionally despicable to not like provide the source for where you got that information if you were stealing it from elsewhere. Like, uh, it, like I, I think we talked about this in the thread. Spike King, foolish of him to put it out there. Stupid of him to put it out there. But at least he sort of said, like, this is where I'm seeing it. And like, you know, in terms of, you know, bottom dwellers and, you know. But, you know, leeches. right now, currently, he's still he's still kind of doubling down on, oh, this is where I saw it. But not really not really saying, well, this is well, this was wrong. So, um, no, which he should. He should yeah. own up to that. Like, that's trust me when I'm talking, you know, when I'm talking the honor of bottom feeders and leeches, I'm not talking about a high bar here. But that makes him like, you know, the highest of the bottom feeders on this particular topic, because at least he isn't doubling down on trying to say like he had sources that did it or defend them or sending me up a, a text message you sent to somebody that got a thumbs up and continuing no vetting. Like th those things are absurd. This whole situation is just flat out absurd. And it didn't have, to, you know, it didn't have to happen. No. And I feel, I feel badly for, you know, the people that get sort of involved with this. Cause there are people that really care about these players you know, and their well-being, and people that were really concerned for Slater as a right. human being, as a human being. Exactly. And that—that's what—that's what I—that's what I, where I sort of get upset about this is that like people care about this team a lot, and the players that are on it, especially players like Slater that have been career-long Patriots for a long, you know, for a decade plus. And you just you you hope that you know people are relieved and get that information quickly that he didn't. Um, but I, it just pisses me off that people go around and are getting this misinformation and are worried about people and truly care. Yeah, it was, it was just sad and it, it spread like wildfire. And that's the problem with social media that when, whenever there's a rumor, it spreads. And unfortunately the truth gets spread less than the rumor does. And that's mm -hmm. unfortunate. Um, Big facts. Uh, let's get to one email because I want to save another one for, or maybe we'll do this and we'll do it next week as well. Um, of course, uh, our email is entitledweekend at gmail.com. Uh, so resident email of Vinny Jace to the Entitled Podcast Network. Um, he says, who do you guys believe was the best commentary team in football? Currently, it's probably Collinsworth and Michaels. Please don't cancel me. Historically, it was probably Madden and Summerall, right? Um, again, see, with this commentary thing, uh, I believe in mute all sports on TV. But, you know, I, I, I think Madden, Madden and Summerall were pretty darn good. I mean, they did the Super Bowl 36, so they have a special place in my heart just for that. But, uh, 
Yeah, I, I'd give it to them. Madden was relatively inoffensive in in terms of how he called the game. Like he, you know, I I mentioned last week, like being pissed off. I'm sounding like John Madden, but because he was sort of vanilla. But that was also a time when a lot of people didn't know the game. It was, you know, oh, you need this is a big moment. You need to score points to win the game. Like he he was painting a picture for people who didn't understand the game when it wasn't the biggest sport in the world. And so, I, I would give it to I would give it to Madden and Michaels as a duo there. Um, you know, I think that you know the best is the mute button. Um, you know, yeah. certainly the best commentator is the mute button. Um, but you know, I'd say today, I don't know, like, I don't think any of them today have the right balance of, co- you know, institutional knowledge and ability to connect it with the generic fan. And I think that's the issue here is that they all have sort of slants or takes and they're trying to be like opinionists as opposed to commentators. And that's the big issue today is like, Romo, his first year, didn't do it as much, and he was pretty good his first year, but then very quickly took the whole, like, Romo Stradamus thing and ran with it. And he's become a caricature of what he was in the first year as a commentator, and he's not, you know, and don't even get me started on genuflecting, you know, Jim Nance. Like, no, they are not the best. Um, They might be very well the worst duo at this point because they're insufferable to listen to. Um, but yeah, I'd say Madden and Michaels probably all time. And then I, I can't think of anybody today that I'm like, oh, that they're really good. Yeah, exactly. They're all pretty much the same cookie cutter, you know, commenting. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there, there isn't one that I can, yeah, isolate and say, oh, they're good. No, there isn't. Yeah. So again, mute all sports on TV. Um, Correct. Uh, we, we don't have our full crew. So I'm just going to go to you, Bill, your final thoughts. Sure. Um, So originally I had a couple of things in mind, but I think based on the conversation we've had today, I just want to hit on the stakes of this game individually for some career Patriots. Um, You know, we talked earlier about like the intrinsic motivation isn't the end all be all, but this is a big benchmark game for a lot of career Patriots, McCourty, Slater, even Van Noy, who's left and come back. Um, you know, I, I just think JC Jackson, um, you know, a lot of guys that have been here either a couple of years are about to get, you know, a new contract or have been here for their full career. The Patriots for a long time were obviously defined by Tom, now Mopey Tom Brady. And this year has been the Renaissance. It's been them coming back to being what the Patriots are. And this game can relieve a lot of sort of post-Brady demons, I think, for this team. Where I think that sitting in the back of a lot of players' minds is, I want to make sure that my legacy is carved out without the words Tom Brady in them. And that's not something that they're motivating themselves with week to week. That's not something that they're using as like the way to pump themselves up like Poyer and them are for Buffalo. But it's sitting there and like, wouldn't it be great if I get, if we nail a division title down without Tom when nobody thought we were going to do it? Wouldn't that be a feather in my cap as an individual athlete? So more so than most division titles, because as Patriots fans, we've sort of become accustomed to division titles. This one would be additionally sweet. It would be the one that sort of allows for McCourty and other career Patriots later to stand on their own and say, we're, we were a great team, whether Tom Brady was our quarterback or not. And we're great all time Patriots, even if you're going to overlook us because of who is standing behind center for 20 years. So, you know, I, 
more so than most games, I'm rooting additionally hard for the Patriots to lock this down. Um, I know that last week I said it was hat and t-shirt and I have to own it. It's not because Miami either has to lose one more along the way, or we have to win more, more along the way if we win on Sunday, but it's presumably uh, a division defining game. Um, and it'll for increase a lot the of lead. Pay- yeah. Right. And for this one, it would, you know, it's really a, a, a definer of, the post Brady era Patriots if they win. And it really allows for a lot of demons to be exercised there. And uh, it's an, it, there's an extra rooting interest this week, I think. And I think, you know, I'm not sure I feel that same way if they didn't lose last week. Um, so maybe they were, you know, doing me a favor to feel additionally pumped up about this game and to feel like this is a real catalyst game, but I'm so, so excited for this game and, you know, rooting harder than I have for probably a regular season game in the last, probably since 2007. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. It, it's, it's a big game. And, and I think, I think more so than, than, yeah, I think they're going to, I think they're going to come out motivated because of the fact that they have the chance. And when you have a chance, you got to take advantage of it. I mean, there wasn't really that. I mean, last week was like, yeah, it's a game, but it's a sad, it's, it's, they're going to be in front of their home fans. They're going to be uh, they're gonna have uh, a week of, of I'm sure Belichick uh, ripping ripping them to shreds for you know the the uh, lack of, of the for the uh, lack of not lack of effort but the mistakes that they made and I'm sure that was harped on a lot and so this game is going to be the let's let's get these guys type of game and mm-hmm. and I agree with what Mike and Mike on Route One last week. I'm not last week, yesterday said on in Titletown, I, I think this game can go three ways. It can be a rock fight on either side, or it can be where I'm leaning. And I think it's going to be a blowout. I really do. And now, now if I'm wrong and don't listen to me ever again, but I just feel like it, it, it's leaning up towards that because again, with Poyer and all these guys talking and it seems like their focus is not there right now. Even the Colts last week, yeah, we made fun that they were giving their secrets away, but they still executed. The Bills, I, I, I don't really see that same mentality. I see a lot more crybaby-ish mentality from them. So uh, I'm excited. Uh, I, I hope you guys are for this game. Uh, my final thought is, uh, and, I, and this was actually a thought I had on when I, when I was on a title town a, a few months ago, um, we were talking about him, but it's apparently back now because uh, Chris Godwin from the Bucks is out for the year. Um, I think I believe he had a torn ACL. So yeah, torn, torn. It was originally sprained MCL, um, right. and then they did more tests, and it was torn ACL. Yeah. So you have all these Bucks fans now who I don't know if they were Patriots fans. I don't know if you know they're saying this because of Tom Brady or whatever. But they need to, and, and here I am going on my Peter Griffin grinds my gears rant, but stop it with this Edelman crap. Stop it. He's retired. He is a player who gave his all for the Patriots. And I said the Patriots. He wears a shirt that says Foxborough forever. In every interview that he's done since he's retired, all he said was, I can't play and, and I don't want to play. So he's already has a great job on Paramount Plus's inside the NFL. He already he's already uh, doing a whole lot of other stuff. Why would you let him do that just for what? For what? Five, six games? Come on, guys. Do, do you really like are, are, is this what we do? Like, are these players? And this is where it goes back to the Slater COVID thing. 
are these players just organisms to you that don't matter? And, you know, you just use them as chess pieces to, to, to make yourself feel better or to increase your argument. Like guys, we need to stop this. Like Edelman, Edelman's a God. Like he doesn't need to, because imagine if he plays and then, and then the first, you know, Edelman, you know, those Edelman type cuts that he makes the first cut he makes, bam, his knee's gone. And now he can't walk. Now he's on crutches. Like, I don't, I don't want that to happen. I don't want a guy who, who left on his own terms and then he comes back and then, and then it's all gone. And now, and now he's ruined everything. So we, we, we need to do better folks. Let's do better. We do. And honestly, if the NFL wanted to make an actually impactful show for their network or their slating of programming, putting us into the window of what rehab looks like for these players would be an incredible, incredibly insightful thing that might humanize the players more to the casual fan. Because a lot of them, as you said, bring out the, the robots. You know, they're robots that roll out onto this field every week. And the injuries are just inconveniences for your fantasy team. It, it's, it's upsetting. Um, but if they actually put you through and showed you what like players who go through a torn ACL have to recover from on a routine basis and like highlighted different players in each episode, almost like a football life, but a, like a football recovery, I think that would humanize the players to the casual fan a lot more and really give them a little bit more empathy for what the players go through. And when a player steps away, maybe why it's a good thing for them to stay away. Um, I really root for Edelman not to come back. I mean, he's going to make a decision. He's a human being and is entitled to that. But, uh, you know, I think he's staying away because he said he's staying away. And I, I really hope he does because I want him to be happy and healthy. He's got a little girl. I really want him to be able to play with her, you know, walk her down the aisle one day, all of that stuff. And so I really hope that he, you know, stands by the retirement just for those reasons, not for selfish wanting him to be a career patriot reasons. I want him to be happy and healthy. Exactly. And that's what we all should hope for. And that, that that should be it. But I did I did love that he uh, clapped back on that idiot on Twitter, uh, Russell Dorsey, saying that that was you know, great. Cooper Cup is the wide receiver. I'll try to convince us Julian Edelman was, and he he commented uh, three rings and a kiss emoji. So you know, I, like that's what Cooper Cup doesn't have. Yeah, just a little flex. I mean, Cooper Cup could have had one, but instead Edelman got another. Yeah. So, like, look, I love Cooper Cup. He's an awesome player. But oh, ta- very there's, talented. There's, there's no need. There's no need to compare. with, you know, no. And the only mean. reason they're comparing them is they play the game significantly differently. Um, you know, I I think people look at you know, white wide receiver who typically plays in sla- inside and decide that that's the same player. Um, and they play very differently. Um, you know, Cooper goes down the field a little bit more. He cuts a little bit more aggressive. His root tree is completely different from the Edelman root tree. They might have a couple of similar ones, but they don't play with the same fast twitch. They don't play with the same slow twitch muscular groups and how they make their burst happen, how they gain separation, the leverage they use. So I, I don't understand that at all. And not only that, but Edelman has shown, shown his versatility and not that it was necessary for Cooper Cup to do it, but Edelman has shown his versatility in multiple facets, not just mm-hmm. specifically wide receiver, but kick returning, punt returning, even cornerback and safety yep. for him. So, you know, it's, it's, it's stop. We need to stop this comparisons and slandering, slandering one to big up the other. It's, it's too much. It's nonsense. Yeah. So uh, that'll do it for us. Um, have a Merry Christmas. Uh, we will, hopefully we'll see you next week. Um, again, the email is entitled weekend 
at gmail.com. You can follow Dan at Judon Sack Lunch. You can follow Bill at the Fib 0624. You can follow me at Atomic Dog 5150. And until next time, turn off your radio slugs. Oh, and one more thing. General Steve wanted us to mention about the final thoughts to reflect that John Harbaugh is a fucking power tool and Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. Thank you. All right. One, two. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. And a Happy New Year.